And so it's kind of taught me, yes, to embrace failure, but also like always be true. So always do what you feel is true because it might ruffle feathers, but it won't let you down. Like it might piss a few people off that are dickheads, but it's not going to, you'll, you'll, you will come out the other side of that. So it's probably taught me to like sit in truth even more. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rage Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is a best-selling author. She's one of Australia's leading nutritionists. She's a yoga teacher, the founder of Lola Coffee. She's the host of the Fearlessly Failing podcast, and she's also a TV host and an actor. Welcome to the show. Lola Berry. I feel like this is third time lucky for you and I because we did that real life video, then we did one in lockdown last year, and this is our third chat. This is the third chat, I know, and I have to do the little spiel every time, and I know that I could just be like, hey, Lols, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so excited for this chat because obviously, since the last time we had our little pod chat last year, you've been up to quite a few bits and pieces, like, you know, being in the States and writing books and things like that. <laughs> so I, I'm excited. This book, because you're, you're back in Australia, obviously, just, just now. I'm in hotel quarantine right now. That's right. How's it going for you? I lucked out. My window's open and I ordered a treadmill. So that is quite game changer for me. I feel very lucky. Oh, nice. I didn't realise you could just order any equipment that you could, that you yeah, wanted. Yeah, 295 bucks for 14 days and you have a treadmill. Oh, wow. So I try to do 10,000 steps a day. Yeah, nice. That's great. Getting your active movement in. Really nice. Yeah, so yeah. the book, the book, the book, this is what you're back here for. And it's fearlessly failing, obviously. And um, basically it's helping people overcome their fear and failure and heartbreak to find they're happy. And it's been a little while since you've written a book. The last one was The Yoga Body, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, three years ago. Well done. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been a little, there's been a little hiatus. So I'm really excited for this new, I'm really, really excited for this new book. It's, um, this has got no recipes in it at all. It is very much just uh, me like, verbal diarrhearing my heart which sounds like a really disgusting image but um yeah yeah so it's like I talk about heartbreak I talk about there's a whole chapter on human behavior so stuff I learn at acting school um we talk about fear failure success what it means how it feels for you because what is successful for me may not be success what success is for you you know Mm, yeah I think it's and it is so different than the other books that you've written because a lot of the other ones were recipe books or about you know nutrition stuff yoga so I'm curious to know I guess your podcast and everything explores these topics too and it's kind of been a little bit of a pivot in not to say that you're not talking about nutrition and all that kind of stuff but you're expanding what you're speaking about too so I'm I'm curious to know what your fascination is with failure and how you kind of started to get into these kind of topics. Yeah, well, it, was, it came from the podcast. So the podcast, the premise was like, I want to interview really successful people about their failures because I think that's where you grow. I think it helps you face your blind spots. I think it really teaches you to become a better human, really. And so I was really excited to interview people on the podcast and be like, okay, so yes, it's amazing you've achieved all this success, but have there been setbacks and what have they taught you? And that 
that the podcast is actually what got attention from book publishers and then the book publishers came to me. I wasn't planning on writing another book. I was like, nah, I want to go to America, clean slate, you know, and um, it, they were like, no, 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 we want you to write a book. And so I wrote a book in lockdown last year and, of course, it's been pushed out many a time thanks to COVID and, yeah, it's, we're here. We're about to... Um, about to birth this little baby. So, yeah, that's the premise. I love failing. I think it's cool and I think it's an opportunity to learn. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people are scared of failure, you know, and I think sometimes it stops people from doing things and I think it's great that you're talking about it and also being so open in sharing your own failures as well because you talk about that. We we spoke about that in our last p- podcast episode as well. So it's, it's really, really amazing. There's a lot of personal stories that you sort of um, share has this process of writing this book been easier or harder for you than previous books because you kind of delve into a lot more stuff that you've dealt with? Great question. This one has felt a lot more alone for me. So usually in a, in a recipe book, you've got a team, like you're sending a recipe to a recipe developer or I would always write chapter by chapter. So I'd do a chapter, I'd get feedback from my publisher, we'd kind of rework it together and then I'd have another play and then it'd go to an editor. Whereas this was like, no, 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 you're on your own for four months, right? You go away, you write, and then I delivered. And it was, so it was a very, very different experience it was very cathartic, but a lot more of it was on my own. And, and I think it's just because I haven't written this genre before. Yeah. Are you are you nervous about any of the stuff that you've spoken about in the book, people reading those stories? Uh, I was. And then we had to, we, we just had to like be really, um, I, I, so the first round, I think it felt a bit like I was just oversharing and then when when I had time away from it. So when you deliver a manuscript, it doesn't get edited. for Well, for me, it didn't get edited straight away. So when I saw first rounds of edits, I was like, oh, wow, like I could read it more as a consumer or an audience member rather than the writer. And mm. that's when I was like, oh, that's a bit, you went too far there or I want to protect that person. I'm going to respect that. And and so like you get in there post writing it, but the first, the first round you're like, oh my God, I just sound like a whinging. I think I got feedback from one edit, which was like, Lola, we don't want this to sound like you're whinging. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> shit. And so that's why I did a lot of, so there was a lot of um, changes and also I'd never written this genre before. So I yeah. wasn't aware of, of, you know, the format really. Yeah. I'm so super excited for it to come out and for everyone to read it. So you've just also come back from LA and I'm super stoked to find out how you went over there because we spoke about this last time too. Obviously, uh, you know, you've been in the health and wellness space for a long time and now transitioned into acting, which is very exciting for you. And the thing that we have in common is I spent a lot of time in the acting space previous and transitioned into health and wellness. So we have those two industries in common. So we thought we'd do something a little bit fun in this little section. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done my vocal warm Usually I do vocal warm-ups. What do you like, do? What I have do? these like vowel, vowel sounds. So I'll be like, she was seen to be evil in the mean streets where bees feed and schemes are the key. So oh, these like little phrases, a... yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so what little we're talking about bees. here is Lowell's and I kind of had a little um, – chat before this podcast episode and we thought mm, maybe we might just do something a little bit fun and light hopefully it's entertaining for you guys listening but we thought we'd talk in an American accent for part of this yeah <laughs> so I gotta be honest like I'm a little bit nervous because it's I've so been... hard it's so hard I, I had a friend that I hiked with and we're both Aussies but both mm. in acting school in America and so people listening 
when you put a scene up in class in America, you're expected to be on general American accent because that's how you're auditioning. Mm -hmm. And so we would hike together and go, nah, we're speaking full American. So it's so much harder. You can't speak your thoughts. You can't like, you've got to like run everything through this really weird filter. It's so weird. And then you're getting puffed out on the hike and it's it's harder and harder to do an American accent. So I'm sure I'll F it up 100%. So we're just going to preface this by saying, just don't mind us if we drop out of the accent as we do this. Okay. So I haven't done this for a long time. Let's see how we go. You'll be fine, mate. So we're here, right? So when I was in LA, I would do what you did and I would go into grocery stores and talk like this and pretend I was from LA so that I could practice the accent. And you would find, you know, if people did not realize that you were Australian, then that's a win, right? Yeah, I, I, I never did this. I, I had friends that were like, and my, my dialect coach was like, yeah, go order coffee or like see if they can figure it out. And I was like, no, that's so embarrassing. So I never, I never. Oh, you never did that. No, no. I, I like being Aussie in, in America. I like, they're like, oh, you're from Australia. Like, I like that. I quite, I like being Aussie. Yeah, they really love the accent. And I think oftentimes they would, they would think that maybe you're from England. Like that's, I got that a lot. It so doesn't sound the same to us, but to them it so does. I remember one time I, I actually met a friend of mine who is American and I was like, hi, I'm Rachel. And I was with a group of friends who were Australian. And he was like, so you, are you Australian? And I was like, yeah, I'm Australian. He's like, well, you don't have an accent. And I was like, oh yeah, well, like this is my accent. And so this is, I'm just kind of practicing. And so he actually met me as an Australian. And then I would like, it was probably half the lunch that I was speaking in an American accent that he just thought I was American. So It's really cool to do this, right? So I'm interested to know, firstly, um, tell me about your favorite food finds. Okay, there's this place in LA. It's called Erewhon. Australians call it, well, I call it Erewhon, Erewhon, (laughs) Erewhon. But Americans call it Erewhon and it has an amazing salad bar. Uh, It has, what did I always get? This like Mexican vegan salad. And I always got this pumpkin pie, which is mm. very American. American. Uh, this is so much hard, harder than I thought. It's the Rhodic <laughs> R's. The Rhodic the R's. R's really fucking get me. Um, yeah. And then I love it. And what else do I get? They did this in these amazing green juicer juices. And then how do I say this in, in America? Matcha. They they love matcha. And there's this place called Cha Cha Matcha. Do you know it? I don't know it, but I saw your picture. And I was like, oh my yes. God. Yes. So I've never epic. been there. And yeah. It, 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 you get it. And I got the lavender one and it had CBD, lavender, collagen, and then matcha. It was really good. Amazing. So good. Oh, God, this is so hard. It's hard, isn't it? (laughs) Do we want to stop? (laughs) Uh, That's fun anyway, just to do it for a little bit. Do you know I had to do a New York accent for my last day of acting school before I flew back? And it was so hard because it was like a Rosie O'Donnell accent. My trigger phrase was like it was so hard because I'd spent three years doing general American and I was like, fuck. But her, her line was so much fun. It was like, 
Look at the hair. The hair is long. It is flowing. It is like a river. Well, it's a fucking weave, okay? And I was having so much fun with it. That's been the last accent that I've done. It's totally different. And there's so many different, you know, dialects around, you know, the standard American, which is what we were just doing. And then obviously, like you said, New York and Jersey and Southern and, you know, all different types. Oh, Wisconsin. I I love Love a southern drawl. My trigger for a southern drawl is like apple pie, apple pie. Apple but it's pie. hard and it's really airy. It sits different in your mouth. Yeah, and even the Boston accent, I think, they, they're Ooh. a little different too because they pronounce their A sounds like we do in Australia. So it's all American then it's like car. Let's get to the car kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Very, very, and I think they do bin differently or something. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. But the voice work is, you know, I think it's one thing um, voice work is, is really great to, it, it helps you understand how how the voice really works, I guess. But back to LA cafes, restaurants, oh, we did food finds. Um, were there any amazing Oh, the matcha place you said, but any other cafes and restaurants? There was one. Pl- I don't know if you went to. Did you ever go to Earth Cafe? On Melrose? Yeah, I did. I did. Did you like yeah, it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I think there's still healthier and healthier cool, options. Though, but um, I loved. I went for my birthday. My had two amazing meals on my birthday. Good friend of mine took me to Soho House um, in West Hollywood for lunch, and that was amazing. Like I went up to the. I think it's called the atrium room, where there's like olive trees. You're not allowed to take photos or anything. But the buffet there was just like it reminded me of an Australian Christmas lunch. It was Yum. so delicious, so much seafood. And then that night I went to Cara Hotel, which is brand new in Los Feliz, right near where I live, and um, they all their menu was biodynamic and organic, so good, and the cocktails are delicious. Oh, yum. Sounds so good. So many of those places I've not been to, I think. It's been quite a while They're since new, though. Been These yeah. have been new. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll have to try them next time I go when we can finally travel. <laughs> now, I've heard you talk about yeah. LA and how how even though, I mean, LA is an amazing city and I know that you love it and it's, you know, it's so full of passionate people, creative people and there's so, it, you know, there's so much opportunity over there, but it's also very confronting, which is what you have sort of said. So can you talk a little bit about what you've found most confronting and challenging about going to LA? Firstly, as a place and then secondly, what you were going there to do? So the stuff I found confronting at this beginning I ended up loving. Like I love that Americans are direct. They'll say exactly what they want to. They've got no filter. I love that. That's obviously confronting when you haven't had that. Like Australia's Australians censor a little bit of what they say, which is fine, um, but different. And um, an American is just like, like I used to always wear this, I still wear an Adaheim Angels cap. Like, and I'd go into Trader Joe's, which is one of their supermarkets, and they'd be like, Goldie Angels, and, like, you'd have this full conversation about the Adaheim Angels, and I was like, I just like the A. Like, I don't know anything about it. But so Americans, yeah, they'll – but also Americans will go out of their way to, like, oh, of course, yeah. Like, they'll they'll make their customer services insanely amazing. Mm. But the confronting stuff, like, I got followed out of an Albertsons one night, which is like a Coles or Woolies – Another night my car battery got stolen. The homeless um, situation is really intense, like really, really intense at the moment. And, you know, like um, I was in downtown LA and I fed a couple of homeless guys and it was just really, it's just a really, it's confronting to see how much homelessness is. Usually it was just Skid Row probably when you were last there and now it's like Hollywood, Venice, Silver Lake, all of downtown. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I think that was confronting for me too, actually. Like, and just, oh, 
times it by a hundred, dude. It's so Oh my fun. goodness. Like I had I, I would walk into Hollywood from my home and people would yell at me, like homeless people would yell at me. Yeah. And I I noticed after I was there a week, I was like, fuck, I need to be able to stand up for myself because you know, guns people have guns in America. Mm. And um and I was on the phone to boss, my boyfriend. I was walking and this guy's like, he was kind of just drunk and kind of like walking down the street, taking up the whole street, like swaying. And I clocked him and he was about to walk past me and I looked at him and he's like, and there's, he's like, there is this really weird woman looking at me. And I said, excuse me. And Matt's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I was like, no, like you need to be able to, you can't be victim here. This is one place you can't be a victim. Like you have to be able to stand in who you are. And like he didn't have a gun or anything, so it was okay. But like, yeah, there's moments like that. This, like Australia is so safe. I can see why they call it the lucky country. Mm, definitely. You would have heard probably a lot of sirens and all, all those kinds oh, of things. Like mate, it's fell asleep with that every night every and night. like gunshots, mm, firecrackers. Gunshots. Yeah. There was a... Two shootings on Melrose in the middle of the day, midday. Yeah. Just because one guy couldn't buy sneakers he wanted, he, like, shot the manager who was 26 and a music producer in the middle of the day, in the middle of the street on Melrose, Melrose and Fairfax. Like, while I was there, it was so full on. And you hike. Like, I love hiking. Yeah. And I would hike all the time to the observatory or Runyon and you're just seeing choppers, like police choppers over the top of you the whole time. Yeah. I think that's the part that maybe, maybe we don't, get as much of here like we don't hear about that as much here but obviously when you're there it's on the news all the time so I mean yeah I mean it's it's that's terrifying but I'm glad that you kind of you know found your way through and kind of loved some of those things I mean not the not the <laughs> all the shooting not the I'm violence but I like the directness the, yeah. yeah but I think also like it's a tough city it's yeah. such a tough city it's no bullshit it's tough it's dirty it's raw it's like and like there's gumption to that city and I, I love that quality in a human being. So I love it. It feels like home for me but um, it's also beautiful to be coming back to Australia as well. Yeah, you probably definitely appreciate things in Australia a lot more. One of the things that I noticed in LA is the culture and I've, I, I don't know if you felt this but I, I felt that you have the freedom in LA to kind of just be whoever you want to be. There's no stipulation on or cultural I feel like in Melbourne especially and I love Melbourne I love living in Melbourne but there is a specific lifestyle especially in inner city Melbourne that you know we've been a part of obviously that kind of like you said before is a little bit more restrained I suppose in LA I think you can you've just got the freedom to just be whoever you want and no one sort of is kind of expecting you to be any different did you feel that as well oh yeah I mean I love it. Like I you do drama school and people are like, what's your pronouns? You know, like that's mm. the first thing people ask wow. you. Gender fluidity is completely like, you know, who do you feel like you are today in this moment? It's so cool. Like I I love that. I love that you can be whoever the fuck you want to be and you can dress however the fuck you want to dress. I love that. I think that's so important. And like, I think it's, I think I've changed as a result of being there because like I was on my own. And so I really just like absorbed so much and like, I'm willing to call out BS a lot faster than I would, I would have rolled over so much more here out of fear. And mm. now I'm just like, well, I don't want to work with dickheads. So like, I've got no problem now, like sitting in the fire, which is all also like what the book is all about. Yeah. as well. Like, but, um, <laughs> You know, I think it's one thing 
preaching it and and because you've felt it and done it a few times but when you really live that way and you're just like in it you're unstoppable yeah I think that's so cool it's so cool to hear that LA has changed you as a person because I felt that it, it did for me as well and and that's so amazing and you also now are an actor and I heard you say like I I officially now call myself an actor. It was hard at the start to call myself an actor and so now I'm an actor. Now that you are an actor and you've been doing a lot of scene study and and stuff on stage in the States, you fail a lot as an actor, right? And so so I am curious to know, putting up scenes, doing monologues, what's been the biggest fail in acting class? Okay, get ready for this. Have you seen a TV, TV show called Succession? No, I haven't. Oh, my God, watch it. It's amazing. Okay. It's based on the Murdoch family. So I was doing a scene from that. My character was a 60-year-old called Jerry, and she is like the counsel to this multi-bazillion-dollar entertainment family, and it's a family-run business. And she's like godmother to a lot of the kids. She's part of the furniture, but she doesn't have the title in her name, basically. So she wants the power, but she doesn't have it, but she's like the MVP, basically. And there's the scene that I got given for scene study was when one of the younger family members, who'd be about 30, so be a 30-year age gap, um, walks into her hotel room and asks her to verbally dominate him and berate him while he jerks off. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Right, so I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and the style of acting that I train in is called chubbick, which is very heavily on substitution. And if you have a sexual scene with a scene partner, you're asked to imagine all your biggest sexual fantasies and desires with that actor. The actor that I was partnered with was 15 years younger than me, and hot as fuck. He looked like Aladdin, <laughs> and I was like. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like I was like, no, 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 no. Mortified. So I put the scene up, and I was like, I'm, I'm playing for power. Like I stuck word for script. I didn't play it sexual at all. I played it fully for power because she's not the one getting off on it. He is. And so I was like, great. I, I know how to play fire. Like I can do this, you know. And I, we had done in the. Props to my scene partner. He was unreal and such a friggin' legend and really awesome with me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so, I was like, I'm so uncomfortable about that. I was really open with him about how I was feeling. And um, we ran in the first scene and the first thing, I shit you not, this is the feedback I got. Lola, this isn't sexual enough. I need you to feel it in your clit. <laughs> that does not surprise me one bit at all. Right? That's this is very LA acting. School, it's very right? LA acting, hundred percent. And I was like, oh my god, 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 what? Anyway, and so my, I luckily I've done a lot of training in Australia with an amazing teacher that I've talked to you about before called Ian Sinclair, and I'd played a husband-wife abuse scene before, and the wife, the character I was playing, got turned on every time the husband went to slap her or hit her and I I read through all my notes from because I was like I don't want to imagine my scene partner fucking my scene partner I just don't want to I love my boyfriend I'm totally monogamous I just my brain doesn't want to go there and I read all of my notes from the scene I'd done in Australia and he all his notes were breath changing notes he was like inhale when he does something you like and quicken when you're excited and slow when you feel danger. And I was like, oh, my God. And so then 
my seam partner came over. We kept running it, running it, running it. And when he was climaxing, I breathed with him. So he was coming and I was breathing at the same rate that he was breathing and it changed the whole thing. Whole scene, yeah, amazing. And we got like really good chemistry as a result because we had to get so uncomfortable together that we completely trusted one another. Before we ran the scene, we we used our warm-up um, privately and we sat with each other. We did all the previous steps you've got to do for this style of acting, some previous steps. And I um, we did them all privately and it was so nice because we went in as actually as a teammate and you would have probably believed that there was totally a connection and a relationship there because we'd done so much work together but I would say breath was my saving grace. That's amazing. I think <laughs> I think those kinds of scenes especially the sexualized scenes can be quite confronting especially if you've not uh, done a lot of it before. I mean any I mean anyone individually can be confronting, right? So I want to talk about then, we'll just segue off a little bit onto this. Oh, can I just say yes? It was the best lesson ever. Like, and this is why I love failing. And my teacher was amazing. And it's given me so much confidence now because you could throw any script to me and I'd be like, okay, let's give it a red hot crack. Like, um, and so I just want to say, like, and to my scene partner and to my teacher, like, they held the space for me to feel so uncomfortable and to fail. And I just, yeah, thank them if they ever hear this. They're amazing. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's nice because you've got a safe space, I think, as well to be in that way because, you know, when you're doing scenes like that, you, you know, you're vulnerable. You're showing a part of yourself that obviously, you know, you probably – would not normally be out in public doing that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. who's going to do that? Like that just, it's like, yeah, it's anyway, crazy. we could talk about that for ages. We could. So I'm, I'm curious to know now, uh, have you had to kiss anyone on stage yet? They won't let you in. Oh, because of COVID. COVID. But that scene was the closest. That's the Because there closest. was a moment right before that he, that actor loves surprising other act like I don't like it when actors surprise you on stage but he did something to surprise me and that was the closest that yeah right. he really came into my space and just like connected right with right. me but because of COVID the school's like no lucky to even be running have you yes, done it previously good. have you had to kiss anyone previously on on stage or screen oh, pre-COVID I to, yeah I, I didn't have to kiss anyone I had to beg someone at dick height like I had to get on my knees oh. while he was standing up and beg him to fuck me over and over and over again <laughs> that was quite mortifying as well fuck yeah oh my goodness this again is- the same age gap too I was like I was like my teacher's <laughs> like this is believable and I was like this is not <laughs> believable but anyway it was a lot of fun it, but then you end up having this really cool like weird respect for the person you've had to be super uncomfortable with, you know? Yeah, you go through something together. I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why acting is so great because it teaches you how to fail a lot. All the and, time. And be uncomfortable all the time and have to get through yeah. that all the time. You know, you have so many moments of having to go through those, uh, yeah, moments of uncomfortableness and no, and you just kind of then figure out, well, I can do it, you know, obviously I can do it. And so it just gives you so much confidence to do it in real life. So I'm curious to know how Matt feels about this because this is a thing that I think not a lot of people probably, maybe they don't think about it, but as an actor, your partner and how they feel about you in intimate situations, emotionally intimate, physically intimate scenes is a thing. I mean, not all people are comfortable with that, with their partner being, you know, so close to somebody else. How does Matt feel about it and or the prospect of you having to do scenes like this, like having to 
kiss people, do sex scenes and all that kind of stuff. What's his Yeah, take? I mean, he's the most chill human ever. And we've talked about it totally. He's the one that brings up, he's like, you know, you're probably going to have to have sex scenes with people. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know about that. But um, <laughs> I, I see myself quite comedic and so I like the sitcom world. But um, he, yeah, he he's fine. I mean, he's also, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he's like one of the most confident humans I've ever met. Like he's emotionally confident he's sexually confident he's like so confident with his within his own life and physicality everything and so he's he is like he even said to me he wrote a song a few days ago and he was like oh I had a dream about the uh I had a dream about the video clip and he was telling me he's was, he was like I was going on all these dates with different girls like it's just he gets it as I think as a creative, creative like, yes that's true yeah and like I think as well like Matt was with me every step of that way. So I would tell him, oh, my God, this is the scene I've got. Oh, my God, I've got to do this, this and this. And I was always with him and and sharing it with him. And I also at drama school in LA made an amazing best mate and I would always bounce everything that I was going off with her because she'd be in my class even though we weren't always scene partners. I would be like, oh, my God, I'm feeling uncomfortable about this and she'd be help me process it, you know. Yeah, that's so good. It's it's helpful to have a partner who's supportive of uh, your work in that space because I definitely have felt like it, it can be an issue uh, if if your partner does not get on board with it, you know. And actors are usually pretty hot too. So like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so It's going to be fun. It's going to be so I mean? fun, so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to know, obviously this, the, the sexualized scenes are challenging. What was the most emotionally challenging thing for you that came up in acting class? Because... You know, obviously as an actor you have to access certain emotions. Sometimes they're uncomfortable emotions and ones that you might not normally allow yourself to feel in normal life. Uh, as an actor you've got to access all of them. Was yeah. there anything that you were like, mm, that's very difficult for me? Yeah, I can't cry on command uh, and I don't believe in trauma work as an actor even though I've just been training in a, almost methods. Me- methods massive in America and so is Chubbick and they're both they rely on your own personal experience of pain to get those emotions and access them. Um, they call it shadow work. And I don't, I prefer to use my breath to get to those places. So if I have to get irate or like, and I, I think I've talked to you, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but like I audited a scene with one of my favorite teachers in Australia and I watched a, an actor had to go from irate anger to crying and sobbing in a very quick time frame. And I watched the director and he said, just, just, speed up your breath, speed up your breath, speed up your breath. And the breath tricks your nervous system. It's so mm. cool. Mm. So I'm more into those more psychologically safe things to do. Yes. But at the same time, like I've done a lot of training in um, with a teacher in the UK and she uses physical gesture to feel those things. So like I've had to do a husband and wife breakup scene and I we were, it was Zoom classes and I would always be like, when we were going through the uncomfortable moments while I was breaking up with him, I'd be like intertwining my hands and really tight and that gesture would have an impact on, even though it was a physical gesture, I would have it would have make me feel something. So there are like all, it depends what school of training you're using, but I think there are a lot of different ways in. All the training I've done in America though is more like draw upon your own experiences. So I would have to find a relationship that, maybe is broken that feels unresolved to draw upon that 
feeling. And that's really confronting. Um, but I have a therapist and so I would, if I did do that, which I had to a few times um, at acting school, I would then get my therapist to help me process it after I've kind of like drudged up that feeling. I'm so glad that you said that because I think that mental health and well-being of creatives or actors specifically is not something that gets talked about uh, when you're actually doing the class. And so to have that support outside of your your classes, if you're using that method to be able to, for you as Lola the person, be able to live comfortably with what you've had to dredge up. You might be interested in the, the Meisner um, technique yeah. because it is based on method, but Meisner doesn't really require you to dredge up memories or, or trauma. You might use people from your life, but it's all imagined. So you yeah. have to, it's nothing that has happened to you. So you're creating all of it. And uh, yeah. I'm very much like you in that way where I would rather not use my own personal things for acting because it is, you know, for it's your... It's sustainable. Yeah. For, and for you might your work own. one day and not work the next day and then you're screwed. Exactly. So I'm so glad to hear that. So obviously you found a bit of a process and everything that you like to approach your characters with and whatnot. And so it's, it's really cool to see your journey as an actor. I'm curious to know now, now that you are an actor, has your perspective on failure changed? Yeah, I think, like you said, like especially being in class twice a week, like you're failing all the time and even if you don't fail and you go up and smash it out of the ballpark, you're still feeling the, the potential failure when you go up. Uh, I think I never realised how scary monologues were until um, I put a monologue up and I was like, oh, this is the worst, there's no one failing with me, this is really hard. And you beat yourself up and stuff as well. So, yeah, I think um, acting also, like, what I think makes great acting is truth. And so when I say truth, like, truth to who you are as a human being and then you showing up, whether it be an imaginary circumstance or not. Um, And so it's kind of taught me, yes, to embrace failure, but also, like, always be true. So always do what you feel is true because it might ruffle feathers, but it won't let you down. Like it might piss a few people off that are dickheads, but it's not going to, you'll, you'll, you will come out the other side of that. So it's probably taught me to like sit in truth even more. Yeah. I love that. I really, really love that. Now we have talked a lot about the biggest things that have happened in your life on the previous podcast. We've talked about this a lot and your book uh, covers all of this. I think you're talking about career fails and heartbreak and fears. So I don't think I've ever asked you what has been your greatest fear and what have you learnt from it? It used to be um, that I'd win an Oscar and go home alone. So I had a real fear of being lonely and I've never questioned my success. I've always known I've got the right work ethic, I'm real, I'm honest and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I don't care if other people don't believe in me, that's fine because mm. uh, that happens I usually just don't work with them again (laughs) um but uh as far as like when I was younger like early late 20s I was like I know I'm going to succeed like I innately don't question that about myself I said but what if I get all this success and win an Oscar and then I go home alone and Mm -hmm. I just had this real fear of I'm a lover like I love love um had this fear of being alone but then I think I've remedied that fear being in LA because I said to my therapist I'm so aware of being alone but I'm not lonely yes 
and that's probably been a huge shift for me. Like it, the, since I've got back, the most common question I've been asked on Instagram DMs is, are you coming back to have a baby and when is the boss going back to LA with you? And I don't have the answer to either of those questions. I'm definitely not coming back to have a fucking baby, I'll tell you that much for free. Like I actually find it quite rude and offensive that people are even asking me that and just because of my age, I presume. No one will ask you that in America. People have kids at 44, they're having, they're having their first kid. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, fa- I find that it's interesting that the second I land on Aussie soil, that's what I'm getting asked. And it's like, hey, like that's one, a really personal thing. Two, what if I've tried and can't and, and, and you're just putting your own shit on me? And three, like even if that is something that's on my cards, that's highly private and boss and I are going to want to talk about that. Um, Mm. which we do talk about and we have a rule that we'll check in every two years to see where we're at and right now we're in a position where we don't want to have kids yet Um, and I'm okay with that and he's okay with that but that's our journey Mm. Um, and then the other one is like when's the boss coming to LA is he not coming with you and it's like we're in a pandemic he can't get on a flight right now like for me to come back to Australia has cost thousands and thousands like a freaking house mortgage and I had three flights cancelled like my last option was my travel agent said, if this flight is cancelled, I cannot get you on a flight till March 2022 and your backup plan is going to be a chartered flight. And I said, I cannot afford a fucking private jet. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah, so like I don't know. I just find that bit, I know I probably sound like I'm ranting here, but, yeah, I found it a bit confronting to be honest. I think I think the, the asking about a kid thing, I think that's a very, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a very Australian thing. And no one asked me once in America. Yeah, they were asking, do you know the most common question I got asked in America? So TV host or actor, which is it? Yeah. That's the most common thing I got asked. That's what I mean about LA. Like you can go there, be whoever. No one kind of expects you to do anything. But in Australia culturally, we do have this culture of there's a thing that people do at a certain age and and that's I think where the questions come from, whether people are aware of it or not. But I think that's really interesting. So we're talking about fear. So what has been your greatest heartbreak and what have you learnt from it? Uh, I write about that. I haven't spoken about this on a podcast before, but I write about it in the book, um, My First Love. So I say like I had the most epic first love with a, a guy called Kane and then that ended with, so I met him at 18, I think, and that ended at 23 and then I didn't, or 22, and I didn't meet boss Matt until 10 years later. So I had epic first love, epic, I'm going to say like soulmate last love, whatever you want to call it now, but then in between all of that were just a string of like wonderful dingoes that taught me stuff but ultimately had to work on their own shit or were slightly narcissistic. Um but that first love, like leaving that first love was one of the hardest things I did in that at that age. I had finished my uni degree. We had agreed we'd go to Berlin together because he's a, he was a music producer and DJ and he really wanted to chase his passion and we said, let's wait till I finish my nutrition degree. And then when as soon as I graduated, I got signed to Channel 10 to be the nutritionist and I went to Melbourne, did the gig, and then they signed me on the spot. And I flew back and we were sitting on his bed, on our bed, and I went quiet and he said, say it. And I said, you know, I've been signed to Channel 10. This is like the beginning of my career now. And I knew he really wanted kids. And, um, and I loved him so much. And I said to him, I go, 
I love you so much. I don't know if I'll ever love another human like you. And I said, but I have to love myself more right now. Mm. Um, I, I will regret it if I don't chase my career. And I said the words, I said, I love you so much, but I love me more. Mm. And it hurt me. He was crying. I was crying. It was the worst. Um, but in now seeing my career unfold, I'm like, oh, like I had to honour for both of us, I had to honour my career. And then we caught up, I don't know, six months later or something, he came to a book, my first ever book launch in Queensland, and he said, always he, we had a saying spread your wings he was like always spread your wings and stop dating dickheads Lola like you know he was like don't he's like you've given up real love for your passion he's like do not settle for anything less and so he had set the bar so beautifully high that it wasn't until I met the boss that I met real love again mm. yeah so yeah but that was hard like I I mourned that for year, three years I reckon yeah the heartbreak, going through heartbreak is, is um, it's painful and it takes a while, I think, to, to really process everything around it. But uh, I think, I've, I mean, what you said there, just that you had to follow, I guess, what you really felt was true for you was, I guess, the, the good thing that's come out of it in that way, right? Oh, but he's got a, like, this is the thing, it was good for both. Like, he's mm. got a family, he's got three kiddos, he's happily married. I've met the boss, like... I dated so many people after him that were like, you're still in love with him. And I said, no, I'm not. I've just experienced real honest love and I'm looking for that again. Yeah. And that's when I had my spiel of like, I'm going to win an Oscar and be lonely because I'd had real love and it was so hard to find it again. Yeah. So everything happened the way it was meant to. It was just uh, heartbreaking at the time, but beautiful pain, like beautifully heartbreaking. And like I wish the the best for anyone that I've ever dated, even the dicks. Yeah. I like that too when you just said they're beautifully heartbreaking because there has to be, in a way, like if you're sad about it, then you kind of know like there was real love there. There has to be almost like there has to be both, right? If you didn't care about it, then it wouldn't have been real love. Totally. Yeah. So the last question I have to ask you is what has been the most challenging failure you have ever had to overcome? Oh, I've had heaps of career setbacks, like shit tons, like the smoothie bar, diet plan that had a really controversial name that someone trolled me last night and wrote how much of a vile human I am. Still, that was years ago. Last night on my Insta, because I flew back to Australia. He was like, how dare you fly back to Australia? Um, Oh, God. But I'd probably say my biggest and hardest hurdle to heal from would have been an eating disorder, Um, only because it took, affected me for so many years after um and I I ignored that I need to see a therapist. So oh this is my mental health check-in. Oh nice. Um do you want to hear it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <gasps> Hello, Lola speaking or Lauren. Good, thank you. I'm feeling great. No concerns, no COVID symptoms, feeling happy, doing a podcast. So yeah, everything's great. You too, thank you. Love this. Live podcast action is your mental. It's so good that they're checking in on your mental health. You have that once a day. You have a nurse call once. I was like, oh, I may as well document it. Yeah, um, why not? You have a, a nurse mental health check once a day and you have three COVID tests while you're in here. Three? Oh, wow. Uh-huh. For the two weeks, right? Yeah, and the Australian COVID tests are no joke. They're right up to the brain. In America, it's like a tiny little cotton bud that just does one nostril. It's great. 
<laughs> oh, amazing. Well, I'm glad that they're checking in on your mental health, but it's so good. Yes, you're, you're, you were saying your eating disorder. How are you feeling? Because I know we've, we've spoken extensively about this in, in our last um, interview, guys. So you can check that out in the last season with Lols. Um, so you're talking about that, but is that something that you still have to deal with now? Or is this something that is kind of you've, or it's something that you live with, you know? I would say, I love this question. I'd say I probably deal with more body dysmorphia now than um, an eating disorder. I definitely eat really beautifully and healthy and I get too much FOMO. I'm like, oh, no, but I want to I try that gluten-free mac and cheese from Air One that everyone's been DMing me about. Um, so, no, I get more, I think it's more body dysmorphia. But also, like, one thing I did learn in LA was, like, everyone's just doing their own thing and looking the way they want to look because they want to look that way. And I think I want to bring a bit of that back and just be like, I want to look the way that makes me feel good. I don't need to get validation from anyone else. That's been quite a game changer for me. Um, But for me, the biggest failure was I didn't get a therapist soon enough. So I didn't get my therapist till 30. And I had an eating disorder started when I was 23. So that's seven years of self-medicating basically from binging, starving myself and whatnot. So my that's where I would say that the failure of that, like I don't think having an eating disorder was a failure. I think not having a therapist sooner. And I tell if anyone's, if people say, what would you give advice for, you know, someone in their 20s? I'd be like, get a therapist now. I waited. I thought it was a weakness. I waited till I was 30. Mm. What did you do during that time? Were you aware during that time that you had you know, an eating disorder and that you needed to... Yeah, 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 100%. Because yeah. I was like doing 10-day water fast and then I was binging to the point of feeling sick and then I would do like restrictive eating um, as opposed to clean eating. Like now I'm really into clean eating, which, you know, can, as you know, I've seen you do heaps of posts about this kind of stuff too, um, which can be like a fine line as well. So I think, look, I don't think it fully ever leaves you, to be completely honest, but um, in my experience, but... I would say now more body dysmorphia. Like I get, I got sent active wear into quarantine yesterday. It was a size small and I was like, oh, am I going to fit that? You know, like my brain will still go there. Right, right, right. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's so good to hear that, you know, you're talking about failure, making it, I guess, a normal conversation, overcoming fear, overcoming failure. And um, we're so excited for the book to be released for everyone. So firstly, where can everyone get the book? When is it coming out? Give us all the deets about all of that because it's super freaking exciting. First book in a few years. You're the best. It's so nice to let's to do um, interviews about the book because you get to celebrate something you work so hard on. Um, I've got a pre-order link which I'll shoot you in an email straight after this and that means you get it signed and before everyone else but it's officially on sale November 1. Awesome. So what we're going to do is pop that link in the show notes, guys, for you to get your specially signed book from Lols. And you've got one on your way. I just haven't got any. I haven't even held it in the flesh yet myself. I'm so, so excited. I'm so excited. digital assets. <laughs> I'm excited to read it and you guys need to get that link so we can all read it together. Thank you again so much for joining me, Lols. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and besides getting the book where else can people find you socials website where can they get onto your stuff yeah I'm pretty I, I love insta so yummo lola berry is my um insta and yeah just any in dm me I love a little chinwag and a <laughs> chat and then the pod I obviously love just like you so yes I podcast Mondays and Fridays Mondays and Fridays it's fearlessly failing with lola berry so make sure you check out all of lols's good stuff and thanks again lols for joining me thanks guys for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the rage active podcast <laughs>